You're listening to highlights from the Creative Process interview with Hey Meadow. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. While the book is about trans kids, the book, the book really focuses on the action of the adults around kids. Because adults are, as I said before, I think, you know, adults are the people who set the terms by which children's lives happen. And so in a way, a child's relationship to gender is fairly simple. They assert an identity or they assert a set of desires for ways of relating to other people or specific material uh, objects or ways of presenting their bodies. And then adults have to make sense of it and decide, you know, what they're going to permit and what they're going to prohibit. And so looking at trans kids is really a wonderful way to think about what we believe is possible. So trans adults get to, or adults in general, get to make claims on the world about identity and about things that they want. And then, you know, maybe people recognize them, maybe they don't. Maybe they get to have the things they want, maybe they don't. Maybe terrible things happen to them, maybe they don't. But we don't feel like we have to decide for adults who they are. It's very different with children, right? We believe that it is our responsibility as adults to decide who children can be and what they can have. And so that's really where our cultural ideas about gender are their most obvious. I mean, you know, I think that we have to think about what the anxiety is, right? So the idea that it's a question whether we tell youth that this is a way people can be, right? The only reason to not tell kids that some people are trans is if we believe that this is a bad outcome and we don't want children to end up that way. So we don't even want to present it to them as an option. If you believe that trans is just one of the many ways that people can be and that that kind of difference is benign, there's no reason not to introduce it to kids, right? And so you can say the same thing about homosexuality, right? You can say the same thing about different religious practices. You can say the same thing about almost any form of difference that we can discuss as either equally valuable or not as valuable as whatever the normative category is. My perspective, both personally and intellectually, is that trans is a perfectly fine way to be. And so for children who are struggling with their gender silently inside themselves, what they stand to gain from being in an educational environment in which they are possible is so much greater than any confusion or disruption that information can provide. You know, imagine growing up as a child who feels trans and never knowing that there are tens of thousands of people like you all around. And so you feel as if you are the only one. And, you know, because kids have the internet, they will eventually learn that in fact they aren't alone. But then they look around at surrounding communities and say, but that's impossible for me. And that's impossible here. And no one who loves me will love me if I tell them this thing about myself. That is incredibly psychologically damaging. And we have a lot of evidence to support that claim that children who are facilitated in expressing their gender nonconforming identities 
are healthier and happier than children who don't have those opportunities. But we don't have a problem with telling children stories about heterosexuality, right? School libraries are full of books where the woman and the man get married and they have babies and maybe they go to church and you know what I'm saying? So we are always telling children stories. So the idea that not telling them these stories is not influencing them, I think is incorrect. It is, it is telling them that there is only one way to be that is acceptable, that is recognizable, that is among the stories that we have at our disposal. And I think it's really important to, to really look at that particular framework, that, that there is a way in which we are influencing children if we give them this information, but not if we don't. And that is incorrect because then the, every story that they are confronted with is a story of a gender normative person. And that is very, very psychologically damaging to children who are not gender normative inside themselves. There are also different ways of thinking about this. One is about trans stories, like here's a book with a trans character in it. Another is statements that are consistent with, you know, what feminists have been saying for decades, which is there are a lot of different ways for girls to be. There are a lot of different ways for boys to be. And then simply just adding onto the end of that. And then there are some people who don't feel like a girl or a boy or some people who are assigned one gender category at birth and feel like a different one. And that is also a fine way to be, right? So the idea that everyone who is not trans is somehow in the same category around gender normativity is, is pretty untrue, right? Like, so, you know, my mother never wears a dress. She's pretty normatively feminine in a lot of ways, but she's never going to put a skirt on. And, you know, when she was growing up, girls were not allowed to wear pants to school, right? And she felt like, but I want to run around and this is impractical, right? So nobody who looks at my mother would think that she was gender non-conforming. She wears red lipstick every day and has her nails done and has beautiful hair and, and the whole nine yards. But in her social context growing up, the fact that she didn't want to wear a skirt was abnormal. So my mother is not trans and I'm not suggesting that that is the same category of experience, but I'm saying that this is, these are points on a line. And part of what I think is important for young people to know is that there are a lot of different ways to embody different gender categories. And that being in a context in which your value is not tied to making very specific decisions about your gender is a healthier context overall. I mean, I think that trans kids are really politically useful for conservatives. So I think very little of what's going on right now has anything to do with trans youth. There was a governor of one of the states that had one of the ballot measures to restrict participation in sports. And in a press conference, and I, I'm just blanking on the governor's name or even what state it is now because I'm so kind of overwhelmed by the number of these bills, but he acknowledged not knowing of a single case of a trans athlete in his state that was relevant to this bill that he had proposed. So there is no actual concrete problem that needs to be solved in his state. And yet the best way to mobilize political support among conservatives is to position oneself as a defender of traditional gender values, right? And now it becomes more complicated with the, with the 
sets of laws that are around medical care. Because I think, first of all, most people know very little about what kinds of medical decisions are made on behalf of trans youth. But what they do think they know is that these treatments are new, which is not true. They've been done since the 70s. That they are dangerous, which is not true. They're actually quite safe and quite time-tested. And that they're done quickly and without a lot of oversight. This is also not true. So I don't know a single medical provider that's working with trans youth that doesn't have kids go through an extensive amount of counseling to come to a decision that is made by the child, the child's parent, and a team of medical experts around the availability of medical transition for, you know, high school age trans youth. And so these misconceptions seem to be outside of the realm of what people are actually debating. It's just, are we going to quote unquote mutilate these kids or are we going to say that transness writ large is a thing that they can do when they're adults? And despite the fact that every major medical governing board in the country has publicly stated that the standards of care for trans youth are appropriate and that they actually lead to better physical and psychological outcomes than delaying transition. This has become a political flashpoint and it's a really easy way because they're children and so adults feel both anxious and responsible for them. Um, it becomes a really easy thing to focus on in states where somebody feels that their political campaign needs a little kick. And so I think that's why this is happening. And I do think that, that you're right, that there, that there is some sense of like, things become more socially acceptable and then there's a backlash. And I think that that's part of the story also, but we live in a culture where politics is animated by fear and children are a great thing to be afraid about, right? Because we, we feel so protective of them. So that's my sense of what's going on. And I think it's a pretty terrifying time to be, LGBT in general. I mean, the abrogation of fundamental civil rights that's happening across the country is quite stunning. You know, as we watch Roe v. Wade about to fall, I think civil rights writ larger and in real danger and, and trans youth are just one piece of that larger, very, very terrifying puzzle. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.